Hi, all you wonderful scuba divers out there. Welcome to the Scuba Diver Magazine podcast. Um, how are you guys doing today? Um, so far, all has gone uh, on quite well this week. I'm really just getting back into the swing of things after paternity leave. Um, but yeah, I've been uh, I've had quite a few projects to uh, to get on with. We've been working with uh, with Dive Malaysia and uh, had to get a um, a video out quite quick. And I think it was yeah, it was the day that I sort of really started a full day's work again after paternity leave apple decided to uh, to lift the uh, the embargo on their like diver app and they released it to the general public so yeah really had to uh, rush out a, a video on that as quickly as possible uh, i'm going to talk about the uh, the apple watch ultra a little bit later in the new in section towards the end of the show yeah basically we we had a um a uh, an apple watch ultra the um the editorial director took it for a dive um I couldn't because I I use an Android. It was quite funny. I got a text message, Struth, probably a month or two back by uh, one of the representatives from Hewish Outdoors, who uh, who runs Oceanic and who uh, sort of do all like the diving side of it for Apple. And uh, and, he, and he texted me and he kind of said, "Oh yeah, are you interested in doing a um, like an advanced preview of the actual scuba diving features in the Apple Watch Ultra?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." Um, but I I use an Android phone and it kind of went quiet. But it, the, we were talking with the um, our editorial director anyway, who already had an Apple Watch Ultra to uh, to test it out, and obviously has an iPhone as well. So um, so he did all of the uh, all of the diving work with it. I just stitched all the uh, the video together. Um, but yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit later and how it's uh, how it's going. The uh, the first news story that piqued my interest is the um, the HMS Endurance, which is the uh, the wreck of Sir Ernest Shackleton's polar exploration ship, was discovered earlier this year, and because they actually found the exact location, it, it wasn't far from where it was like recorded to have uh, to have sunk. I think it was about six kilometers away, which in in those days is, is pretty darn good um, or pretty accurate. And ever since they found it, of course, they're quite worried that it's going to be vulnerable to treasure hunters. It's I mean the Titanic when they discovered the actual location of the Titanic. Uh, as soon as they like marked its location, of course, all the uh, the wreck hunters went and uh, and some of them took some stuff from it. And now you see it on display, and it's kind of, mm, do we really want this, or shall we leave it where it is? It's mm, is that big sort of murky area. Um, but it's uh, good news. It's due to receive some protection um, or legal protection. However, it may take some years for it to uh, to actually become effective. So this is the UK Antarctic Heritage Trust, the UK AHT, very snappy acronym, and Historic England. They're due to begin work on devising a conservatism, sorry, a, a conservation management plan for the iconic British shipwreck. But they say it's expected to take about two years to actually come to fruition. They've got to do all the paperwork and do it all properly. Um, so this is the the shipwreck of the endurance that was used by Shackleton during his 1914-1916 Antarctic expedition and ended up being trapped and crushed by sea ice and then it sank. In 2019, before the wreck had been 
officially located, it was designated under the Antarctic Treaty System as a protected historic site and monument. So it did have some protection over it. Um, but in March this year, the British-led Endurance 22 expedition organised and managed by the Falklands Maritime Heritage Trust discovered the ship. It's three kilometres underwater. So this isn't just like scuba divers throwing on a single 12 and <laughs> nicking stuff. Um it's three kilometers underwater and it's in the icy Weddell Sea, so it's pretty chilly. And it was discovered a hundred years to the day after Shackleton's burial uh, in South Georgia. So they found it, yeah, about six kilometers south of the position that they originally recorded, or what was originally recorded by Captain Frank Worsley, um, which is either just inaccuracy of the, um, the instruments at the time or whatever they found it so the discovery of endurance was soon followed by reports that the expedition team were concerned about the threat of possible human interference uh, despite the inaccessibility of the depth of the wreck site um, but exploration director Menson Bounds said that he feared endurance would fall prey to plundering by rogue organizations and treasure hunters equipped with submarines and that perfectly preserved artifacts on board could end up on display in like Las Vegas hotels or somewhere cheesy, um, which is yeah pretty much what happened to the even deeper Titanic. Bound expressed his hope that a right-thinking archaeological organization might be able to access the wreck to help maintain and even restore it as an educational site, and once completed the conservation management plan, which has been commissioned by the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, has to be presented to the Committee for Environmental Protection at the Antarctic Treaty Consultative Meeting. So lots of uh, lots of paperwork. They're going to make sure that it's do it properly and. Um, basically now that we know where it is it's a matter of okay everyone knows but we need to make sure that it's handled properly and not just some cowboy goes in and just chops it all up and just grabs whatever they can and uh, and just pulls it apart we need to make sure that we um, we preserve it as much as possible and in the icy cold waters it does look pretty well preserved considering it's a wooden ship uh yeah you can still see uh, sort of most of it intact but um yeah, it is nice to know that it's going to get some kind of protection. The next thing that caught my eyes was a article in Slash Film, and they um, they were basically looking back at how the creature from the Black Lagoon pulled off its underwater scenes, and it's just an incredible story. Now, bear in mind that this is 1954, or it was probably filmed in like 1953 uh, before it was edited, um, which is like really early days of like underwater filming at all and the actual creature themselves there were two separate actors there was ben chapman who did all the land-based stuff when he was outside of the water and then you had riku browning who did all of the underwater um uh, acting as it were and if you think about wearing a full body monster suit with incredibly limited visibility the amount of work and how hard it was for him to swim underwater unaided because you couldn't fit any like scuba equipment or whatever in it he said that the lips uh, of the suit sat about a half inch in front of my lips and i put 
the air hose in my mouth to uh, to be able to breathe through it. So he had this like tiny little straw hole to be able to breathe through. Um, he goes on to say that I would hold my breath and go do the scene and I'd have other safety people with other air hoses to give me air if I needed to. Uh, we had a signal. If I went totally limp, it meant that I needed it. It worked out pretty well. They uh, they didn't have any problems, but Struth, what a, um, what a signal because his, his hands, he had the, the webbed gloves on uh for the uh, for the creature and he was doing all of the um quite impressive movements in the water and swimming around so he couldn't really have any like intricate hand signals so they decided that yeah you know what if i just went completely limp um come and help me which i think is a universal signal for anybody underwater uh but yeah he'd hold his breath for i think i've read anywhere up to four minutes but more of the the stationary stuff he could do up to about four minutes but when he was moving around it was uh, it was less so and when you when you look back at the footage it's incredible footage they're filming in florida and the they said that one of the main problems was the water temperature because the water temperature was about 71 degrees the air temperature was about 49 degrees and they did this for the best part of a month filming from nine o'clock in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon and he spent the entire day in this monster suit in and out of the water and it's just incredibly um just taxing to imagine what he had to go through and um yeah they they said that he had done previous things uh so like filming underwater he did have experience in this and he was part of the um uh the united states air force swimming team so he was quite a confident swimmer and you can definitely see that in um uh, in the footage when he's swimming underneath her and doing all these underwater acrobatics but it's just incredible to uh, to read about yeah how they actually got it done and uh, filmed all the way back in yeah 1954 um yeah incredible and it still holds up today if you haven't seen it it's definitely worth watching it's uh, it's one of the classic like monster movies the paramount monster movies and i think i read somewhere as well that he's the only surviving original monster out there from like dracula and uh, and frankenstein and the mummy and things i think he's the the original like classic monster who's still alive i could be wrong that it could have been an older article that i read that in but um but yeah that's um yeah it's just fascinating and it's um yeah it's it's the the, the scuba divers monster movie the uh, the creature from the black lagoon something else that piqued my interest was that there's a, a historic diving equipment is being auctioned on uh, december the 10th um this is in uh, in kansas i believe so it's one of uh, they're selling all sorts of things including one of the oldest known u.s navy diving helmets um is uh, is going on the the nation's attic december 10th diving into history auction uh, as well as other historic antique diving helmets in the auction uh, includes the um, the well-regarded widowmaker helmet uh, from world war ii a, a helmet made in 1900 that helped construct the golden gate bridge and a helmet that was actually used at pearl harbor on the uss arizona so nation's attic incorporated is conducting an online only auction on saturday december 10th 20 22 for historic diving helmets and other diving related equipment the auction is yeah only 
online only, featured on liveauctioneers.com and, and bidsquare.com. Um, 135 lots of diving memorabilia will make up the, um, the entire sale. The star of the event is the second oldest known US diving Navy helmet from July 1916. The helmet is the, uh, the, the classic US Navy Mark V model. The helmet's actually a, a prototype for the model that would then go on to be used by the US Navy until like the mid-1980s. Um, also in the same sale is a rare Mark V Widowmaker helmet, uh, which is known for being quite, quite feared by many divers. It had a pretty dangerous reputation, hence the uh, the moniker, the, the Widowmaker. Another Mark V helmet etched with its history from Pearl Harbor and actual use on the USS Arizona in 1943. Also included in the auction are personal items from one of the first 100 U.S. Navy SEALs. Uh, his 1964 Rolex Submariner watch is up for auction, as well as a 1943 diving helmet are uh, just two of those um, special items that belong to him. Another diving helmet that's up for um, for auction was made in uh, 1900 that helped to construct the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Uh, that comes with photographic proof um, as well, so you can... Uh, yeah, display that and own that. The uh, the rest of the auction is going to feature a, a whole selection of just antique copper and brass diving helmets. Uh, some of the helmets, they're Miller and Dunn Diving Hood style threes, uh, helmets by Morse, Schrader, and international helmets from the United Kingdom, in Russia, Japan, helmets made during the second half of the 20th century, including Kirby Morgans and Aquadyne helmets. Many other unique pieces of diving equipment and memorabilia are going to be offered um, and are selling at no reserve reserve which is quite interesting um yeah so nation's attic incorporated has been in business for 18 years it's the largest dealer of authentic diving helmets globally it's located in wichita kansas um there which is the quite unusual location for um, for scuba diving gear I, I don't think there's a lot of diving in kansas um but hey, uh, it's definitely worth checking out. I'll uh, I'll pop a link in the uh, the description for you to uh, to check it out. You can check out the auction and some of the uh, the pieces already. Uh, so we got a couple um, sort of vintage dive lights and uh, and full face masks, uh, a Marvel Custom Deluxe single hose regulator from the 1960s, um, some Fenzy BCUs, uh, yeah, all sorts of bits. Twin hose regulators, quite a few of those. Uh, the first underwater camera, the uh, the 1961 Calypso 35 mil um yeah all sorts of things a few uh, a few books oh i actually own that one life and death over a coral seas oh mine isn't signed by jacques Cousteau though um yeah all sorts of bits and bobs oh there's a rope and wood ship's ladder that's quite interesting uh with a queen mary plaque oh okay it's not just a rope ladder it's, it's actually a um, proper rope ladder um but yeah, all sorts of uh, sort of interesting vintage scuba diving and just underwater things. There's a, a Morse diving patch, um, a nice uh, Mark V diver's knife as well. Uh, a few of these things already have bids on them, so uh, it might be worth getting in quick. Um, but yeah, if you want to own some um, some vintage scuba diving equipment, especially an old diving helmet, then um, yeah, head over, take a look, and, uh, and see what takes your fancy. I'd love an old uh, like Mark V or something, but they uh, they can be quite quite pricey um and i uh, i don't know where where i'd put it i'm sure i'd find space for it but um yeah it is one of those classic things and it always reminds me of um oh when i was doing a paddy course in like the, the real early days and they had this um they had this video 
that you would watch that would associate um, with the uh, the course itself. So you could watch it whilst you filled out your um, your textbook. And um, and one of the things was you can you can usually tell if if somebody's a scuba diver when you walk around their home and they have like scuba diving memorabilia or something and they had this chap he was just reading a book in an armchair and right next to him was yeah i think it was a, a mark 5 full-on brass helmet just on a stand right next to him and it's it just it looks so out of place and so um just why okay i i get the point you're making but you couldn't have made it just a bit more um a bit more realistic um but yeah that that always sticks in my mind when i uh, think about owning a uh, diving helmet of time where, where would i put it you just have it on this pedestal just in the middle of the living room or something but hey on to diving equipment news. The um, uh, the first thing that I'm going to pop in first before I talk about the Apple Watch is that Scuba Pro, or more specifically Scuba Pro EU, are um, they've released their I think they're calling it like a winter season offer or something, which is basically if you buy an Everdry Four dry suit, then you get a set of K2 light undersuits to uh, to wear underneath it so if you're looking to get into uh, into cold water diving and you you, know, you you want to invest in a dry suit um then this is probably a, a good offer that's going to uh, pique your interest so the everdry 4 neoprene dry suit uh yeah it's a neoprene dry suit as you can imagine uh which is a good all-rounder everdry was always a very very popular dry suit when uh, when i used to sell dry suits because it's for the price you're getting a nice quality dry suit if that makes sense so scuba pro they, they always make really nice pristine equipment it has this real like premium feel to it and if for the the dry suit as well you've got the neoprene so it has plenty of thermal insulation and it's it's just it's tough as well so it's going to last for a very very long time they they did improve one of the uh, the problems with the the everdry I imagine it was technically the Everdry 3, because um, now we've got the Everdry 4, is the, the cuff seal. They were neoprene cuff seals, but some people, when especially when they're new to dry suits, they when you go to adjust the cuffs, they would kind of put a finger underneath the uh, the cuff seal on their wrist and then like pinch it and pull it to adjust it, and that could quite often rip that cuff seal. So that was quite a common problem to see. It had this very telltale like crescent shaped cut in the um, uh, in the seal. So I think they've improved that on the uh, on the EverDrive Four, um, but otherwise, yeah, it's just a nice neoprene dry suit. And yeah, until I think it's like mid January, yeah, the fifteenth of January. Uh, if you order it through either Scuba Pro EU or through one of their European dealers, it's it has to be um, uh, participating dealers obviously it's you can't just turn up to uh, to any scuba pro dealer and just demand it because they might not be uh, be offering it so it's best to best to call them up first but um yeah it's it's a good way to get a um, a dry suit and an undersuit k2 light is a uh, it's a for a membrane dry suit it's like a summer undersuit because it's pretty thin as the uh, the the light in its name suggests but it's it's thermal enough and when you're wearing it underneath a neoprene dry suit then that extends into the colder months as well and um and yeah it's just it's just enough to create that insulating air layer 
wicks moisture away from your skin and uh, but it's not too big and bulky so you end up like Michelin man and you're all buoyant in the water so yeah that caught my interest and um, yeah if, you, if you're interested in a, a new dry suit and undersuit then um, yeah now's, now's a good time to uh, to get a, a good deal um, and then yeah the the other thing or the other big news or equipment news is the uh, the Apple Watch Ultra has unleashed its underwater scuba diving features up until like Monday it was it only had the uh, like gauge mode so it would tell you how deep you were and how long you've been under the water but it didn't have any of the algorithm or anything inside of it i mean they were kind of there but they weren't activated and the um the oceanic dive plus no correction the oceanic plus app uh wasn't available yet and for me, at least, it's still nuts because I'm an Android user. Um, I don't know why I expected to see it on the Android store. Um, but no, unfortunately, I couldn't. Because I thought, oh, let me just play around with the Oceanic Plus app just to see what you can get with the uh, the free version. Um, but yeah, because I'm an Android user, I uh, I can't even download the free version. Uh, it only exists on the uh, the Apple app store, whatever they call it. But anyway, the uh, the computer itself, yeah, the our, um, our editing director, Mark Evans, he uh, he got one. And he'd been using it as a regular like Apple Watch. And he says, yeah, outstanding, lovely display, good battery life and all that good stuff. And uh, the interchangeable straps as well. Very useful because there's um, there's a scuba diving specific strap, which makes it much easier. And you can swap it over and you can quickly fit a, a dry suit strap as well because it was dry suit diving. And yeah, he said... Very, very easy to read screen and very intuitive display as well. As you can imagine, it's it's effectively an oceanic dive computer, but made by Apple, if that makes sense. Or they both worked together in collaboration. So it's got very, very intuitive user interface and... um, uh, yeah, the screen itself just very, very easy to uh, to read. He said, even in low visibility and in the dark, obviously, uh, very, very easy and uh, and a bright screen to understand. And with all the the alerts, very easy to um, to to catch your attention because it has the um, uh, the vibration, the hepatic feedback. So he said he, he started to take it below. Um, was it 40 meters, the uh, the maximum depth? And he said it, it goes nuts on your wrist and it flashes and it spells out exactly. And um, But it doesn't doesn't penalize you. It just kind of says, whoa, 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 you can't go below this depth. And then it's, um, it's, still, it's still recording all of your decompression information and whatnot. But yeah, for, for, the, for the time being, uh, yeah, you can't take it below uh, from sort of 40 meters uh, without the, all the alarms going off. Uh, he took it into deco as well. He said it handled that very well. And I don't think he had to do a, a deco stop because he made a, a gradual ascent back up to uh, to the surface. Um, but yeah, had um, it did the safety stop uh, sort of very nicely. And yeah, it did everything that you need from a dive computer, including it's got the compass mode. Uh, it's got snorkeling, like apnea mode. Um, so yeah, it's got everything that you need to. It does have gradient factors, uh, conservatism, so you can customize it. I think I read somewhere it dives a, a Buhlmann uh, algorithm, so that's pretty similar to a lot of other dive computers nowadays. And nitrox from 22 to 40%, which is pretty recreational. And that was kind of the um, 
the consensus and and most people because because when i first saw it you're like oh of course apple is uh, sort of getting onto it but that was the exact same sentiment that i thought when i first saw the garmin dive computer you're like oh struth garmin no one's ever going to want that but actually when you get your hands on it and when you test it out and you're like actually you know what yeah this is a pretty good dive computer and considering the audience that the apple watch ultra is aimed at for its like scuba diving features yeah it is the perfect dive computer because a lot of these people anyway they're probably going to have an apple watch i think i saw somewhere they sell like 35 million of them um, worldwide annually so it makes sense that yeah a lot of people are going to be wearing this anyway and then instead of them just taking that off and strapping on another dive computer they just keep their apple watch on and take it for a scuba dive and for recreational diving which is what a majority of the diving community does yeah does everything that you need and it's supported by oceanic which is one of the biggest brands out there and the the app itself is marvelous granted you do have to pay for some of the features but if you don't want to pay for all of the bells and whistles then you don't have to um and there's different uh, uh, like pricing tariffs as it were it's not just well you know what if you want to use the app you have to pay for the whole like all the bells and whistles um if you're just going on like a, a diving holiday then you can just pay for a couple of days or just a week um there are family plans as well if multiple divers are diving with it and it connects to your um, your phone and you can update all the information and you can see like diving destination like weather reports and all that uh, water temperature and all that stuff that, uh, that is quite interesting and useful as a scuba diver you need to know what the water temperature is likely going to be when you get there so you know how much exposure protection to bring you uh or bring with you <clears throat> but yeah as a as a dive computer yeah it's uh it seems to um sort of firmly settled itself in a very comfortable position that yeah if you are a recreational diver and you want a decent smartwatch because it has all the the classic apple watch features where you can like talk through it it's got the uh, the heart rate monitor and all that stuff uh if, if you're in a car accident it's going to call for help and it's got gps so it sends emergency services directly to you those gps things um is going to mark the entry and exit points for your dive uh it doesn't work underwater i don't think we quite figured out underwater gps quite yet i did see something from suex i think it was suex they um they've developed a uh, a dsmb that has like a built-in gps thing so you can be on the dive you can send up this dsmb it's got this honking great big uh reel on it because it's got like gps cables that takes the signals from the surface takes it down that connects to your um uh, your scooter or whatever so it's underwater gps i think is coming we probably got to wait maybe five ten years for it to um to be like mainstream and in a lot of dive sites but i think we're getting underwater gps fairly soon um but back to the uh, the watch itself yeah um it, it's gonna it's gonna work for a lot of divers and i i don't think it's gonna like take over because it's it's got it's very definitive like demographic which is recreational divers people that go on holiday and they go for a scuba dive whilst they're on holiday um and they they don't venture into deep deep technical depths or anything they just stick to their 20 30 meter dive and that's perfect so um yeah so that you don't have to invest in any extra 
technology and if you need to adjust the algorithm as well yeah you've got different conservatisms you've got um, gradient factors as well so you can customize it and make it match your buddy's shear water because shear water dives on a, uh, a buellman um yeah it's um they mark did compare it to a few other dive computers like similar dive computers on the market today said the uh, the Sunto d5 is an obvious rival of the um uh, of the apple color screen watch size dive computer but um the uh, the ultra screen on the on the apple is far brighter and easier to read i did kind of notice that on the other d5 because i had one for a few weeks to uh, to test it out and yeah it did connect to my phone and you could get like text messages on it but the uh, the screen itself wasn't the brightest of the bright screen and it's always that trade-off between battery life and screen brightness um the the shearwater Terek of course another watch sized dive computer but where shearwater lent completely into the um like scuba diving side of things on my my shearwater Terek great dive computer but to i mean it it won't connect to your phone in the same way that an, an apple watch will uh doesn't have gps doesn't have um sort of all those kind of things doesn't have a heart rate monitor and stuff so for for like a, a deep diving computer and a, an actual dive computer yeah yeah very strong very powerful is the Terek, but as a an all-round like life as well as like scuba diving then yeah the other apple watch does like tick all those boxes but of course it has that maximum depth rating um and the uh, the garmin descent range i think garmin won as far as the uh, the battery life because um it just has a, a better battery i think i read somewhere um i mean mark said that he took the um the the apple watch on i think it was two dives in a single day and it came back with about 70 something percent so it, it went on two pretty pretty powerful dives uh, or pretty long demanding dives so it had a lot of um uh, like battery drainage and considering the uh, the screen is always on as well he said uh, yeah actually it's 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 pretty good and because you can top it up pretty quickly it's um yeah it's it's okay not as good as the uh, as the mark ii but but yeah i can imagine we're going to see a lot more um apple watches on uh, on dive boats going forwards so, i yeah, i think this is going to be quite popular and a lot of divers especially new divers getting into it oh, why would i need to buy an extra dive computer when you know what my apple watch does it anyway uh so yeah i imagine a lot of the uh, the brands the the actual diving brands are looking at this and and wondering is like oh maybe we need to uh, to step it up and do something a little bit different with our dive computers because um if we've got a giant like apple uh, sort of treading on our territory maybe we need to uh, sort of step it up and do something a little bit differently uh, i mean it doesn't have like wireless air integration yet because the the first garmin didn't uh, and now they've got the mark ii uh so yeah i imagine it's it's gonna come give it a year or two we'll probably see the the apple watch ultra plus and that will have wireless air integration and um and deep diving and side mount and all that kind of stuff because once they once they have that code the, the code doesn't take up that much space the uh, the wireless air transmitter will take up a little bit of space on the inside for the uh, like sender receiver but yeah i imagine it's uh, it's coming given a a couple generations we'll probably see an all singing all dancing dive computer inside of a uh, an apple watch
Moving on to videos that uh, that are releasing this week. So on Saturday, we've got how to store your diving regulators. Uh, I figured in like this time of year, people are starting to uh, to pack away their regulators, and you kind of want to make sure that you do it right because if they're if you do it slightly wrong, then they can basically they won't work quite so well when you go to dust them off next season. But the main thing is to make sure that they're clean. Um, so many divers they store their regulators and either still with some water or something on the inside and they're just going to fester especially if it's like salt water because all the uh, the microscopic nasties on the inside of that water they're just going to thrive inside of it for uh, for a few months and just multiply so that's the last thing that you need especially when it's on like the the softer membrane materials of your regulators so the uh, the diaphragm and the o-rings or whatnot they're just going to degrade so it is worth giving them a proper wash and a clean and then drying them out completely before even thinking about packing them away so uh, yeah just have a look in all the little nooks and crannies especially if you have hose protectors just kind of pull them down the hose and look underneath them make sure they're nice and clean and dry underneath that before you store them away and if you have any breathing adjustments then it's worth unscrewing that all of the way because it just relieves some of the uh, the tension and the force that's applied to one of the sealing surfaces inside of your second stage and by unscrewing it it's less likely to bed in so you have this like circular seal that's push or i think it's called a knife te- technically and that pushes into the seal and you end up with this circular indentation on the seal and if you're allowing more force being pushed into it then it just push it just makes that indentation even larger and then when you actually come to use it later on because there's a larger indentation some gas can slip underneath it so your second stage starts to creep and just bubble which can be really annoying so um, it's worth just unscrewing it and before you go to use them on your um, on your next dive or like the first dive of the new season it's actually worth taking them to your dive center to get serviced a good month or two beforehand because trust me everyone else when it comes to like February, March has the exact same idea. So you're just inundated with uh, with customers, regulators, and they come into the dive center. Uh, they all expect a um, like to get turned around in a couple of days because you know what? It doesn't take that long to service a set of regulators, and, and you're right, it doesn't take that long to service one set of regulators, but it does do um, to do like sixty, especially if one of them doesn't balance quite right and you have to disassemble it again you have to redo you have to adjust it when when they go together and they just settle straight off it's lovely but when you have to constantly adjust it and readjust it uh, it can take some time so get them in sooner rather than later uh, so that way you won't miss out on that first dive of the season and then on to my ask mark which goes live on sunday uh, a few interesting questions so the first one was about like cavern diving and, and cave diving and they were asking whether cavern diving i consider it as recreational or technical diving so it's kind of a vague there's no like dictionary definition for recreational or technical diving there's no like here's here's the exact boundary of when scuba diving becomes technical uh and anything 
below that as it were is recreational uh, if you go beyond it it's technical there's the, it's a real vague gray area and it's different between different divers and I suppose cavern diving compared to cave diving if you don't know the difference cavern diving is where I think you you can still see the light you never leave um, uh, like direct visibility of the exit if that makes sense uh, that's cavern diving but if you go beyond that it becomes cave diving that's kind of a good analogy for recreational versus technical diving because yeah, you're still in overhead environments, but you still have direct access to the exit. Granted, you don't have direct access to the surface because you have to go out and then up. But it's yeah, it's, it's really tricky whenever anyone tries to say, oh, is, does this count as technical diving? Because there's no like definitive. Yes. Um, and I suppose, yeah, like because you can do like cenote diving in um in like Central America, you can do cenote diving on just like an open water. Um, you're obviously guided, and it's it's still in the in the light realm, so you can see the exit. But you're still diving in an overhead environment, which kind of, in my mind, counts as recreational diving. But that is quite an interesting um, uh, interesting like thought experiment. Um, someone else, they. Um, they were asking if I prefer like push buttons or like rotational heads on dive torches uh, because Orca Torch they do the the D700 and the D710 and the the main difference between them is that yeah one is a is a push button and the other one has like rotating heads to switch it on and off. I've used both. I've used quite a few different dive torches in my years. Um, and between those two, I, I prefer a button because most buttons nowadays, they have, I think it's called a reed switch, which is like a magnetic switch on the inside of the body and then a button on the outside. And there's no, uh, it, it doesn't go through the body of the torch, the button. So there's no like seal that you have to worry about. It's just when you push the button, it moves a magnet on the outside of the torch a little bit closer to the uh, the body, which activates the switch. So there's there's less chance of it uh, of it flooding. Whereas with a, a mechanical head, when I have a, um, a Hollis, is it a D3 or something? Um, and that's that has like a rotating tail um so that the butt of the uh, the torch rotates and and that's pretty good uh, i've used that for um for struth quite a few years now and what i particularly like about that is that you have to screw it all the way in and it switches off but then when you unscrew it a little bit like one or two rotations it activates and then to switch it off you screw it in <clears throat> because otherwise if you're like if you have to like unscrew it to switch it off there's a chance that you can keep unscrewing it a bit too far and then risk flooding most of them have multiple o-rings nowadays to uh, to protect against just that but because they're dynamic o-rings and something's moving over the top of them then yeah they they wear out over time so it's just a little bit safer to have a, a push button one of the safest torches that i have uh is a Oh, Exposure Marine, I want to say an M3, and that has a, um, what do you call it, I want to say like a gyroscopic um, 
switch on the inside. So like with your phone, if you turn your phone on its side, it naturally changes from portrait to landscape. And um, the the dive torch has a similar switch on the inside and it, it basically registers when you move the torch and how you move the torch in three dimensions. So instead of having a physical switch where you have to turn or twist or do anything, you like rotate it, you spin it in a circle and it it reads that as okay you want me to activate and then you like sort of spin it in one direction to make it brighter you spin it in another direction to make it dimmer if you have it facing downwards and then turn it in a circle it switches off it's it's not always the um the the easiest to uh, to use because you do have to get that action quite um quite right as it were and anyone below you, you are just getting sort of flashed in the circle but as far as like flood proofing, yeah, wonderful. They uh, they sent me one to uh, to test out that did end up flooding, but it was just a, a sample. And um, yeah, they just sent a replacement. They're like, oh, okay, can can you send us the uh, the old one so that we can see like what went wrong? But uh, yeah, as far as like reliability for proper um, like production models. Yeah, yeah, I love the uh, the exposure marine. I don't think they um, they make diving torches anymore. I think they're more into the like um, uh, bikes and whatnot nowadays. But um, yeah, I, I love mine, and um, the the Apex dive torch range is uh, is effectively made by Exposure Marine. So um, yeah, if you're looking for one, have a look at the uh, the Lunars. Another one came from a diver who they, they'd been on a, a relatively shallow dive, um, but their, their dive computer signaled for a deep stop. But she um, she questioned the uh, the dive master, and and they basically said, "Nah, don't don't worry about deep stops. They're they're actually more dangerous." And and they said, uh, I, "I can't find like a definitive answer online." And um, yeah, you, because you probably won't. There's no like definitive. The general consensus today, I think, is that deep stops are a bit superfluous um, and yeah, a bit more dangerous because there's. <laughs> There's, there's been multiple different like concepts and ways of decompressing as uh, as you come up from deeper dives and one of them was deep stops which is where some people do it slightly differently but it's, it's either you take your maximum depth and you half it and you do a stop there and and I've, I've done it before one of my uh, my early dive computers it would have been a Cento something had uh, had deep stops and I was just going through the settings as you do when you first get a dive computer. Uh, would you like to activate deep stops? Yeah. Um, didn't really know much about it at the time. Went on a dive and yeah, it, it tried to make me do a stop at, I can't remember, 18 meters or something where my buddy wanted to keep ascending. But my my dive computer says that I have to stop here um, and you can blow straight through it and it, it just readjusts it and uh, and you spend a little bit longer at uh, at shallower depth but um no i don't think too many divers use deep stops anymore uh when you actually look at studies you get a higher chance of uh, of decompression complications so um no it's not really the done thing a lot of dive computers they'll still have it in there if you want to but uh no i think the general consensus is that um no, you, you don't do uh, deep stops anymore. And the uh, the final question is: um, someone was looking to uh, to upgrade their dive computer. They um, 
they have a Zoop Novo. They've got about £600 and they want an air-integrated dive computer. Um, there, there are some out there for um, for about that price. And um, it's, it's a matter of thinking that in that price, you have to have like about £250 for the transmitter. It's usually how much a, a transmitter will set you back. Sometimes some you can get close to, uh, to £200, um, depending on the brand and, uh, and who's selling it. But some you can get north of um, 200 the um, the sheer water one is uh, the swift is pretty expensive but it's pretty advanced at the same time um so you do need to add that into your um, your calculations when you're investing in a computer but actually this time of year um like the um uh, that school pro offer you can get a lot of free or reduced price transmitters um around christmas time because it's kind of it's coming up to the end of the year and the the manufacturers need to hit their targets so you'll often get some kind of free transmitter or at least half price transmitter or something when you buy this dive computer so that's a great way to um to, to save a bit of money uh, as long as you can wait otherwise there, there are some and i think zoop uh, not zoop the uh, the viper novo that has wireless air integration so that's probably a, a very quick and easy upgrade to go from um, from the Cinto Zoop Novo to the Viper Novo uh, very similar user interface and similar dive computer all around but yeah you've got that uh, that wireless air integration um, but yeah that's I think that's about it I did release a video on um, oh I can't remember Lan, Lan Canyon uh, which is a teeny tiny little island that um, that we're working with in uh, in in Malaysia and um, just beautiful tiny little dot of an island in um, in the middle of the Sulu Sea uh, so I did a little quick little video about them uh, if you want some um, some holiday envy coming into the uh, the winter period um, check that out on the channel otherwise yeah head over to scubadivingmag.com see what we do check out the magazine um, check out the uh, the magazine subscriptions and whatnot and our breakdown of the Apple Watch Ultra uh, otherwise Thanks for listening, everybody, and of course, safe diving. Yeah.